Well, greetings and good morning to you all. This is so wonderful to be able to share the word with you today. So both uh, Pastor Irene and I, we extend our greetings to you. We, we really are looking forward to seeing you all again. It's been such a long, long time. And uh, it, it's looking like early next year uh, we will be able to, uh, to return and, uh, and see you once again. Well, in this Christmas season, it's good to have a uh, uh, sharing of the word uh, around, around this time of the, the birth of Christ. And so the title of my message today is, uh, well, taken straight from Luke chapter 2, verse 14, and on earth peace among men. That is, peace visits a troubled world. Let's just commit this uh, message to the Lord in prayer for a moment. Thank you, Lord. We, uh, Lord, we look to you. Lord, it is uh, your word. Lord, you, you gave it to us. And Lord, we just pray today as, uh, as the word of God is shared and uh, Lord, we apply it uh, as best we can. Lord, that uh, you would anoint your message to your people. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, today we're going back in time to about 4 BC. Who likes a little bit of time travel? Well, about 4 BC, which is estimated by many to be the, the probable time of Christ's birth. Of course, in many ways, the world over 2,000 years ago was a very different world to the one we live in today. Yet in many other ways, it was an all too familiar world plagued by human problems, political upheavals, national disruption, poverty, and social conflict. The majority of people were living in a troubled world, facing much uncertainty, fear, and anxiety. But something earth-shattering was about to happen in 4 BC something actually foretold centuries earlier by the prophets, in fact, something that would literally change everything and uh, turn the world upside down, using the language of Paul and Silas in Acts 17. Let's have a look at our scripture passage today. Uh, Pastor Irene shared on some of the same passage last week. Though we'll be having a, a different focus today. It's Luke chapter 2, starting verse 4. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. In the same region, <clears throat> there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly 
stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Well, you would be too. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. But today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You might say, a little bit of heaven has come down to earth. Now, the world in 4 BC, this is around about that time, it was anything but peaceful. The prophet Isaiah predicted that the world would be living in a state of spiritual and natural darkness when the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos, he is called, was born. And uh, he also predicted that a peace, a peace quite unlike anything experienced before, would descend on the world. In fact, it's written there in Isaiah verse 9, uh, 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 chapter 9, around verse 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Jump to verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. Notice the emphasis on peace in Isaiah's prophecy. Now, a little bit of history. Who's interested in, um, in some history? Because there's always a context, you know, to the Scripture. And I think we can understand Scripture even better if we know a little of its historical context. Well, there are actually, you might say, uh, four areas in which the world was dark and troubled, as Isaiah indicated it would be. Let's take the first one, one area in which uh, there was darkness in the world. First one is when Christ was born, the direct word of God had not been heard for around four centuries. That's a long time, right? Um, you know, we've had two years, what, of COVID now? Well, think of 400 years. That's a long time. Now, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and written around the 5th century BC, closed his prophecy with these words. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet, whom we know to be John the, John the Baptist from Matthew 11, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's pointing very much to Jesus and speaking so much in that illustration of peace. And then, after that, nothing, nothing 
for 400 years. Indeed, even the ancient Jewish Babylonian Talmud stated, after the latter prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi had died, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. Hence, something of a spiritual darkness was prevailing over the land in 4 BC. Another area in which the world was dark and troubled, secondly, people were living under the occupying and sometimes oppressive rule of Rome. This is very apparent already uh, so early in Luke's gospel in, in chapter 2 with the census of Caesar Augustus. Such an event was a blatant reminder always uh, that Israel was uh, under the charge and authority of a foreign power. A major purpose for the census being to keep track of the population and, as always seems to be the case, to raise taxes. These were no longer the days of King David or King Solomon. For Roman soldiers controlled the streets and Roman authority governed most aspects of ordinary, everyday life. In a sense, it was a bit like being exiled in your own land or a kind of, using current terminology, or a kind of lockdown by a foreign power. Hence, the census was a vivid reminder that there was a political occupation, oppression, and darkness as well over the land of Israel in 4 BC. A third area uh, in which the land was uh, troubled uh, and uh, dark, Israel itself was divided into factions. So to compound matters that we've already seen in the first two, Israel itself was fraught with division. Four primary groups were at odds with each other, each one seeking the attention and allegiance of Israel. One was the ubiquitous Pharisees, who lived in the prestige city of Jerusalem and always attempting to shape religious life through arduous and never-ending traditions. A second influential group were the Sadducees, who refused to embrace such strict uh, uh, traditions, following only the law of Moses. As upper-class intellectuals and aristocrats, they wielded much power, overseeing the temple and most of the Sanhedrin. However, their spiritual understanding was minimal, not even believing in angels and the resurrection. Thirdly, there was the quiet, unassuming, and detached Essenes who lived in monastic-type communities where, incidentally, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, uh, subsequently uh, discovered, largely separate from the world outside. And the fourth major faction, being the uh, complete opposite to the uh, Essenes, were the energetic, usually uncontrollable zealots. <laughs> they were always uh, inclined to riot, uh, insurrection, and stirring up strife. They would mount a rebellion when anyone of note stepped out to start one. Just out of the word riot, some writers say, and, and they would descend on it. Uh, like bees on the on the honey, you know. 
these uh, kinds of opportunists wanted Rome out by force. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the social, political, and religious ladder were the ordinary poor people, the vast majority of the population, tossed inevitably to and fro by all these waves of competing forces. Very little peace here. Hence, Israelite society was under the darkness and trouble of division. Peace seemed an illusion of glory days long past, merely stories of bygone days where, when people lived and there was some semblance of peace, stories you would even tell to your children and grandchildren. A fourth area in which the world was troubled and dark at that time in 4 BC, the king himself, Herod, was paranoid about power. He was a Roman appointee meant to direct the political affairs of Israel and maintain the peace between Rome and Israel. Not that this amounted to any real peace, because to Herod, you know, peace simply meant the lack of strife and rebellion. For him, peace was about keeping things calm enough to keep his job with all of its trappings. King Herod would do anything to stay in power. His history makes colourful and atrocious reading. He even killed members of his own household. Matthew tells us that uh, how this lust for power reached fever pitch in chapter 2 when Herod heard that a great king had been born somewhere in Bethlehem. Nobody was going to threaten his seat, and to make sure he got the real person, he ordered the killing of all the male children in and around Bethlehem, two years of age and, and uh, under. This could only be carried out by someone with an irretrievably darkened mind, and it wasn't done by the Romans. Sometimes a, a nation's worst enemies can turn out to be their own people. Herod contributed significantly to a chronic lack of peace in the land and among Israel. Hence the entire authority structure of Israel from the top down, as we've been seeing in those four examples, they were living in great darkness and trouble, as foretold by Isaiah. We could go further and list a, a lot more of the strife and the absence of peace in the world when Christ was born, but we will suffice with a little from Josephus, the notable and famous ancient historian. He elaborates that, uh, that Judea was full of robberies and bands of men were ready to do any kind of public mischief, that King Archelaus, that's Herod's son, of course, uh, when Mary and Joseph and the baby travel back to Nazareth and Egypt. King Archelaus killed uh, 3,000 men in order to thwart any attempt at rioting during a, a Jewish pilgrimage and cancel the Passover feast. What else did Joseph, Josephus indicate? That some his leaders wanted to set themselves up as a rival king and even burned down the royal palace at Jericho and many other of the king's houses throughout Israel, and that the Roman army, fed up with insurrection, 
attacked the Jewish town of Sephorus, uh, which uh, that town was called by Josephus the, the Jewel of Galilee, actually named originally after Moses' wife Zipporah. But Sephorus was only six kilometers, not very far, from Nazareth. Well, uh, they burned uh, uh, Sephorus, made its inhabitants slaves. Joseph and Mary were assumed to be at nearby Nazareth during this time, probably with the newborn baby Jesus. And as pointed out by Josephus, even the Romans had extreme difficulty trying to control Jerusalem in 4 BC. The notable historical scholar Philip Jenkins writes that the crisis prevailing in 4 BC seems a critical moment in political and religious history. Hence, it's abundantly clear that the announcement of the angel and the heavenly host regarding peace would resonate very deeply with the shepherds and ordinary people. Christ came to a world that was living under the pall of trouble and great darkness, but he was ushering in a peace that would pass all understanding. Now, let's just fast forward to the future, to the 21st century. Here we are. And we can re relate to many of these conditions. Worry, fear, and anxiety is apparent everywhere around us. And if we are not careful, they can rob us of genuine peace like nothing else can. We're gradually emerging out of two years of COVID, which has been a source of fear and worry to many of us. Fear for our health, our livelihood, our business, our job, our finances, our loss of opportunities, our future, and so on. Many leaders, media, and politicians around the world have even capitalized, uh, there are lots written about this, capitalized on this fear. As the popular saying goes, never waste a crisis. This idea was described by Niccolo Machiavelli in his famous text, The Prince, back in 1513, a kind of Bible about leadership and government on the bookshelves of many governing and corporate leaders ever since. Such fears are becoming more rampant in the world today. A number of people in the world now suffer from a, a chronic case of FOMO. You've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. Lots have been written about this too. So uh, uh, even when something like house prices are uh, uh, keep rising by the greatest amount in known recent history in some countries. People have been taking on mortgages to get into the market, they say, way beyond their reasonable limits to repay. Fear is even being sown in our modern world with the continual erosion of freedom of speech. When it comes to things like race, gender, sexual preferences, climate change, abortion, coal-fired power stations, maybe even vaccinations. Uh, you better be careful what you say or you, you'll be eaten by social media quicker than Nazi Lee Marco of a Saturday morning in Kuala Lumpur. And that's quick, right? 
and uh, perhaps fired from your job, media persecuted, or bypassed for promotion. These things are happening. Many professors of universities have lost their jobs because of not speaking the ideological speak. And the list goes on. Playing the cards of trouble, fear, and anxiety is a new, yet very old, way of adverse people and organizations manipulating and controlling populations, what they say and how they live. Without laboring the point, I think you get the idea. There's no shortage of fear being exported in our world today. Genuine peace is increasingly becoming a rare commodity. Now, let's go back to our story in Luke chapter 2. Over 2,000 years ago, this announcement was made by the angel and the, and the heavenly host. And it did amount, given what we've been talking about so far, it did amount to a, a tectonic moment of earthquake proportions. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. As Paul would, would later write, quoting again from Isaiah, um, in Ephesians, quoting from Isaiah 57, and he, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you, to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. So we're talking here in this message about peace. We need this God-given peace, I think, more these days than perhaps ever. So let's explore for a moment, what is this peace being proclaimed by the angel and the heavenly host? Well, what is it? Let's look at some of its meaning now, the meaning of peace. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Shalom. I heard this word already in the, uh, in the morning service. In the Old Testament, shalom, which means peace, was seen as primarily a blessing from God such as a person's welfare, feelings of wholeness, harmony, completeness, prosperity, tranquility, and even God helping you to fulfill your purpose and destiny. In the New Testament, and the word here strongly reflects the Old Testament, shalom, uh, we have the, uh, the New Testament Greek word, uh, irene, um, and uh, that's where we get the English name Irene, uh, of course. And I know plenty about Irene, as some of you understand. It's actually pr pronounced Irene, um, close to the, uh, to the Greek form. But uh, it's understood, uh, using that word in the Greek New Testament, a kind of a, a wholeness in all dimensions of life such as tranquility, there it is again, well-being, feeling safe, contentment, comfort, health, and harmony with God and his word. That's more the New Testament meaning of peace, irene. Now, sometimes we have a, a, a sentimental or shallow understanding of what peace really is, particularly in light of the Hebrew and Greek words, shalom and irene, I just mentioned. 
we usually see peace to mean the absence of something. For example, the absence of troubles, the absence of war, the absence of financial insecurity, the absence of strife uh, at home or at work, uh, or political and social upheaval, uh, or for some of you, the uh, the absence of Logos College assignments. Uh, that's got to be a, a real peaceful uh, situation, right? Uh, well, so some of you tell me. But notice that these are all externals. That is, peace is judged on how positive or negative are our personal situations. If the conditions around us are, are thought to be good or favorable, then we may feel we have peace. Or if our personal situation is not so good or favorable, then we may feel we have little or no peace. But the Bible doesn't really see peace that way. The biblical understanding of peace is more about internals, not externals. That is something that is resident within us, something deep within us. As Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God which uh, passes or transcends uh, uh, all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. We need plenty of peace here, some of us, in Christ Jesus. So this uh, kind of godly peace uh, touches our hearts and our minds because if not, we will also fall prey to becoming fearful, anxious, full of worry, and downright miserable relative, relative to the favorable or unfavorable conditions around us. Hence, the biblical kind of peace is not so much about the absence of something, but about the presence of something. This is the peace that Jesus was ushering into the world, as heralded by the angels and the heavenly host, not a, not a worldly peace, not a, a peace that is somewhere out there, not a peace in a butterfly world where everything is idyllic and nothing ever goes wrong, not a peace that is contingent or dependent on the circumstances around us, but a real inner shalom or irene peace as captured by the gospel writer john jesus said peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world uh, gives do i give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let it be afraid i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will, have you will have tribulation, lots of unfavorable conditions. But take heart, I have overcome the world, says John in chapter 14. So, we can define God-given peace this way. It's the presence of God within you. It is an internal thing. Peace is not dependent on something external or outside of you. It is that spiritual impartation resident on the inside that we either have or we don't. Sadly, 
a lot of people do not have this shalom or irene internal peace which passes all understanding. Even some believers don't have this real intrinsic and lasting peace, allowing troubles and darkness to gnaw away at their hearts. If we don't pay attention to it, we will become like Martha's who are always distracted, anxious, worry and fret over so many things, rather than like Mary's who have received the peace and presence of God in their lives and find what is better, quoting Luke chapter 10. Now, let's have a look at the application of uh, peace uh, in our lives. And these, these are the, the, the three areas that uh, uh, I want to use in this message to explain the broad dimensions of peace. Three dimensions of peace here. One is peace with God. Secondly, peace with others. And thirdly, peace with oneself. Well, let's start off by looking at the first one in applying peace in a practical way. Peace with God. The, the scriptures talk about the, this godly peace. He is the first important bit. Now, many people see a lack of peace or not having peace purely as a horizontal problem. That is, uh, people not getting along with each other, groups not getting along with each other, societies not getting along with each other, and therefore we can't have peace. So the proposed solution is, if only we can break down the barriers, barriers between people, organizations, uh, competing groups, nations, etc., then we can obtain real and lasting peace. Hence, many national attempts around the world to encourage diversity, accepting each other's racial and class differences, and so on. However, according to the scriptures, the lack of peace is a vertical problem. That is, if we are not at peace with God, then there is no chance we will ever fully attain any lasting peace within ourselves or even with one another. In short, alienation or distance from God is sure to impact on everything else, including alienation within ourselves and alienation from one another. Perhaps this understanding of getting the vertical right first is nowhere better illustrated than in the Old Testament story of Numbers chapter 25. This is where Phineas, son of the high priest Eleazar, stood up in the face of national wholesale idolatry and made a stand for the righteousness of God. He knew we had to get this vertical right first before any other blessings, particularly peace, is going to flow out on us all. So I'll read a little here from Numbers chapter 25, verse 10. Verse 10, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel with my jealousy. Therefore, say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood. 
Now, this covenant of peace is seen by many as a foretaste of the kind of lasting and genuine peace that Christ would offer to this world. So, thinking of this vertical relationship here, peace starts with a right relationship with God. You won't find it in any other way. You can search for it in many places. Here's a few. Money, security, the usual things, education, personal wealth, relationships we might have, power and influence, etc. But still never really find it. Substitutes may look like sufficing for a while, but they will not last. That's the vertical. If we want peace, we must have a right relationship with God. It's a vertical issue before it's ever a horizontal one. Secondly, let's look now at uh, peace uh, as a personal attribute. And I think this is important to us today. This is probably uh, going to be my um, major emphasis uh, uh, for this latter part of the message. Peace is a personal attribute. You know, a lot of people don't quite have, have peace or can attain it. So to help illustrate this, we will again borrow from a Bible story, this time from the New Testament, and for this we'll turn to uh, the story in Mark chapter 5 concerning the woman with a hemorrhage. I'll just read a little bit, starting uh, verse 30, I think. Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see, the, you see the crowd pressing on you and you say, who touched me? It's almost like sarcastic, I think, the way they said it. Verse 32, and he, Jesus, looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's irony again, the Greek word. And be healed of your affliction. It seems that this woman had endured 12 years of hell. You can sense her desperation. Uh, and even pushing through the crowd to get to the front in those days was no easy feat. But the moment she touched Jesus in faith, she was healed. This was remarkable. But there's much more she apparently needed. Sometimes physical ailments are equally accompanied or exceeded by emotional or spiritual ailments. Peace in her heart, peace in her life was clearly absent. Hence Jesus' final pronouncement to go in peace and be healed of your affliction. All the physical healing in the world may not amount to very much if we still live in anguish, turmoil, or in great anxiety. Being healed is one thing, and she got that, but just as much she needed uh, that peace of God in her life. So the life principle is evident. Without God's peace, we can never be fully healed, whole, or complete. Peace, by the way, is also identified in the Scripture as a, a fruit of the Spirit. 
Um, it says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. Peace is one of the things that actually characterizes us as a believer. Think of it. Peace is something that this godly internal peace that only he can give, it's something that permeates our lives. It's a, a disposition that we have. It's an air of confidence that saturates our being. It's an outlook that covers everything we look at. Or we might put it, it's like a, a deep well of water in our lives that is constantly drawn on but never runs dry. Other people wonder and marvel about it at times. You know, we may be facing deeply troubling or anxious times, yet you seem to have an air of confidence through it all. The problem is still there, but it's the way you handle it that radiates out to everybody. Now, some people can even misinterpret your deep sense of peace as callousness, or maybe it's because you must be irresponsible or you don't even care. They cannot understand a peace that passes all understanding. We recently had a, uh, had a friend uh, visit us last week, and uh, she was telling us the story of, uh, you know, there's so many scams going on these days. Um, and she's a very intelligent and, but godly woman, and she got caught in a scam. And she lost something like, uh, well, she was scammed of about 120,000 Australian dollars. But it was her response to that, you know, she, uh, being a believer, there was, uh, there was a, a piece about it. Sure, she did whatever, uh, whatever she, she could and was necessary. But people were starting to criticize by saying, hey, you don't even care that you lost all that money. You know, it, it, she just seemed to be uh, handling it. She had a piece about, about herself. Anyway, subsequently, most of uh, the monies were returned, so that was good. But it's the way you handle things. And we saw that in her life. Well, how is it that we allow our well to go dry at times? Why is it that believers lose their peace or fail to live in peace? And the simple answer is we allow anxiety and the worries of the world to gain a foothold, a, a grip or a stranglehold in our lives. As we said earlier, peace is not dependent on the conditions external to us. Genuine peace is something that you have from God on the inside. I'm going to give us the benefit of the, the doubt uh, today and say we all want this peace of God. So maybe our problem is just in believing it or appropriating it in our lives. And it's for anxious and worrisome persons like these that Jesus taught the following. It's there in Matthew chapter 6. It's, uh, it's worth a read. I think this is important to our message today, particularly with uh, peace within ourselves. Matthew 6.25, it says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat 
uh, or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Let's go to verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first, this is the vertical again, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself each day has enough trouble of its own. So three times in this passage, Jesus takes the sting out of worrying. In effect saying, don't worry in verse 25, why worry in verse 28, and stop worrying in verse 31. All these things are what Gentiles focus on. In short, Jesus is indicating that it is useless, senseless, nonsense, worthless, and faithless to worry. Unbelievers have plenty to worry about, but not us. Being worried and anxious about today and tomorrow is a guaranteed robber of peace. Why would we settle for that? Remember what Jesus said, peace I, I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. There in John 14. So how do we get this peace? And this is getting very practical now. Well, Jesus gives it to us. We just have to receive it. And to receive it, we just take hold of it in faith, believe God at his word, and trust in him. Paul put the matter very well. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There in Romans 5.1. He's given it. We just have to receive it. Just believe in God. Have faith in him. Trust him. And finally today, uh, this is our third area of practical application. Okay, the first area, we looked at peace with God. Having the vertical in place first is very important to this kind of peace that God is bringing into the world. Secondly, we looked at uh, peace within ourselves. A lot of people don't have peace, but I think the scriptures show how we can have peace in our own lives. The third area is and it's very important to peace with others. So a third dimension about godly peace is that uh, it's also meant to be given away. After all, it was first given to us, and now it's our turn to give it to others. If anybody knew anything about this, it would be Paul. In fact, it constituted part of his signature. You know, whenever he wrote to churches, and there were 
so many of them, and even to individuals like Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he would say something like, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood how to give peace to others. So it's therefore incumbent on believers to bring peace wherever we go. This troubled, darkened world sure needs it today. And if you don't have it in yourself, how will we ever give it to others? So no wonder, first of all, you need to have the vertical right, our relationship with him. Secondly, we need to have that peace within ourselves like we spoke of earlier. And now thirdly, we need to give it to others. So it's when your cup runneth over, using the old King James Version, that you have plenty of surplus to give to others. Often when, uh, for example, Pastor Irene, uh, uh, Brother Poon at uh, many times have gone overseas to uh, teaching the Word of God, ministering in various training centers, some of the local pastors would take us visiting some homes, usually people that were sick or there was problems or some kind of trouble. And uh, it's, it's always a habit with us now that whenever we go into a home, that uh, we, we declare peace to this house. Uh, and, we, and anyway, Luke 10 talks about that. You know, it says, whenever you enter a house, first say peace to this house, because you and I can bring peace to others and peace to a situation. But perhaps nowhere in the uh, is this essential quality of bringing peace into a troubled world better expressed than in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. We're not going to read all that today, but this is where Jesus says, amongst many other things, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They're in Matthew uh, 5, uh, 9. So being a peacemaker means uh, you are helping to extend and promote peace to others. We are not troublemakers, mischief makers, or instigators of division. We don't stir up strife. As much as is humanly possible on our side, bring peace into troubled situations. Now, you might run the risk of being labelled some of these things, like you might be labelled a compromiser, you might, you might even have to uh, swallow your pride at times to bring peace to others. You might even be accused of not knowing the scriptures or not standing up for truth, etc. But there are times, I think, where we need to drop our self-righteousness and try to bring peace to a situation. We, we may even have to eat a little, and this is real tough, <laughs> we may even have to eat a little humble pie on occasions. Sometimes I remember my American pastor, Dick Iverson, uh, preaching on this to us students back uh, in Portland, Oregon. He says, sometimes it is uh, even better to be wrong for the sake of others than to be right and lose everybody. You know, you could be right about something, but wrong in the way you go about it. By the way, of all the Beatitudes, being peacemakers is the only one that qualifies in the passage to be called sons of God. 
there's something about bringing peace to a troubled and dark world to many other people. So make peace a habit to give away. So in conclusion, let's uh, have a brief summary of what we've looked at today. As we wind up, first of all, peace starts with your relationship with God. Don't look anywhere else for it. You just won't find it. If you think you have found it outside of Christ, it probably will not last for long. You might have to start here to get real peace. Get closer to the Lord. That's your vertical relationship. Get that right first. Secondly, peace is something that is within you, inside you. It pervades your whole being. It's not something external or out there or or something you might have if outside conditions are all favorable and going all very nicely for me. Peace has intrinsic, internal value here. It's from God and actually uh, in its proper understanding has nothing to do with circumstances or situations. It's something that we have on the inside. You seldom have a choice over circumstances, uh, but we do have a choice about whether exercising peace or not. Thirdly, peace is something to give away to others. We want to give a gift, you know, Christmas, uh, we give a lot of gifts to others. This is a great gift to give. Help bring peace to others. You can be a person of peace who just oozes peace and presence wherever you go. And uh, fourthly, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. <laughs> he gives it to us. He's already given it. We just have to believe it, receive it, and take hold of it. You let it just, just uh, invade and be part of your, your whole life. So as Christmas approaches, it's only, what, a bit less than two weeks away now getting real close. I know all the kids are getting very excited already, and some of us big kids are too. <laughs> but as Christmas approaches, let our minds dwell on that uh, remarkable time when, on a quiet night, as humble shepherds watched over their sheep, an angel from heaven visited our dark and a troubled world with a multitude of the heavenly host saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So on behalf of uh, Pastor Irene and, uh, and I, all the family, my mom, God bless you this Christmas. May peace be in your household. So thank you very much for just listening to this message today, and uh, God richly bless you. Amen. Shepherds watch the
Amen. Thank you, Dr. D, preaching to us live from Australia all the way. And I hope that today's message on the peace of God, it will once again bring you an understanding of the peace of God. The peace of God to, that surpasses all understanding. So I would like to thank Dr. D once again for your message. And I hope that as we listen to this message, that we will not just be a listener of the Word of God, but be a doer of the Word of God. And here are the reflection questions that I hope that you will take time to ponder personally and also in your small group. Number one, as you follow Christ daily, how is the vertical aspect of peace between you and God? Take time this Christmas season to ponder about your vertical relationship with God. Secondly, through this message, how has the peace of God spoken to you personally? in the midst of fear, anxiety, stress, and worries. Because I believe the Word of God is applic applicable to all of our lives. And number three, in what ways can you give away peace and become a person of peace as you experience peace with God, especially this Christmas season? How? In what way can you spread peace? So I hope that these are the three question that you will continue to reflect in your lives this coming week.